This is News Talk on the VOCM Bigland FM radio network. The views and opinions on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your News Talk host, Linda Swain. And good afternoon, everyone. I almost said good evening because it really has that feel, doesn't it, Claudette? It does now, especially, too, with like how foggy and how just dreary it looks. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I don't know about you, but I've noticed throughout the course of the afternoon that the fog will come down and then it'll go back up and then it'll come <laughs> down. And then go. every time you look out the window, it's like, oh, where's Ken Mount Road? Oh, there's there Ken Mount Road. Peekaboo. Peekaboo. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, yes. Like my father always said, when uh, driving into St. John's, as soon as he hits the fog bank up around Patty's Pond somewhere, he's like, oh yeah, here we go. Yep. Driving into St. John's, no surprise here. Anyway, uh, be careful out there, folks, uh, as you drive home this evening. And the days are really closing in, aren't they? They certainly are. Yeah. And then, I don't know, I still want to go to bed early and then it just kind of screws up my sleep. It's yeah, And it's dark in the morning when I get up. Yeah. 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 And, uh, of course, the time change, I think, is not until first weekend of November. November. <laughs> um <laughs> I, I think you and I should just uh, go knock on the premier's door and say, do something about that. Yes, I think maybe we need to take signatures. <laughs> there you go. We'll start a little petition here, you and I. <laughs> Extend the length of the days. Come on, what's the matter with you? Um, in other news, of course, uh, globally, we're watching very closely what's happening in Israel. Israel's military has ordered hundreds of thousands of civilians living in Gaza City to evacuate Friday ahead of a feared Israel ground offensive. The directive came on the heels of what the United Nations said was a warning they received from Israel to evacuate 1.1 million people living in northern Gaza within 24 hours. Suffering in Gaza has been rising dramatically with Palestinians desperate for food, fuel, medicine, and the territory's only power plant shut down for lack of fuel. The morgue at Gaza's biggest hospital overflowed as bodies came in faster than relatives could claim them. The war has claimed at least uh, 2,800 lives on both sides since Hamas launched its attack on Israel on October the 7th. Well, an update was provided today by Global Affairs Canada on Intergovernmental Affairs Minister uh, Melanie Jolie's visit to Israel. Here's Alexandre Leve and Julie Sunday with Global Affairs Canada just a short while ago. It's a pleasure to be with you today, members of the press. Yesterday, I would like to begin by mentioning that Minister Jolie visited Israel earlier today. Her main objective was to meet with partners and get a first-hand assessment of the evolving situation so that Canada can identify areas where support is most needed. The minister heard firsthand about Hamas's brutal terrorist attack on Israel and underlined Canada's steadfast support, steadfast support for Israel and its right to defend itself in accordance with international law. She also discussed the worsening humanitarian situation in Gaza and met with Canadians who took Canadian military flights from Israel to Athens. Yesterday, Canada announced that it is providing an initial $10 million in funding for humanitarian assistance, which will help provide food, water, emergency medical assistance, protection services, and other life-saving assistance. As Minister Hussein noted, this initial funding commitment will allow partners to scale up their efforts and provide assistance to people in urgent need. 
We are aware of reports that Israel has warned citizens in northern Gaza to evacuate within 24 hours. We will continue to monitor the situation closely. The protection of civilians is paramount. To conclude, I would like to reiterate that Canada's embassy in Tel Aviv, as well as our delegation in Ramallah, continue to operate in extremely difficult circumstances to address the needs of Canadians. These missions will be open over the weekend. They will be ready to offer assistance to Canadians in need. I will now turn to my colleague, Julie Sunday, who will provide more details on Canada's current consular response. Thank you, Alexandre. Thank you again today for this technical briefing. I'll provide some updates on the latest details regarding consular needs, the support being provided, including uh, support for assisted departures. In the last 24 hours, the Emergency Watch and Response Centre here in Ottawa responded to nearly 600 inquiries. We have received over 3,300 inquiries since the beginning of the crisis. We had over 80 responders working overnight in our emergency watch and response center. Our missions on the ground in Tel Aviv and Ramallah continue to provide consular services to Canadians. Actuellement, on Israel... Currently, in Israel, over... 6,500 Canadians are registered with Global Affairs Registration Service abroad. 485 Canadians in the West Bank and Gaza are registered. Of that number, we are currently assisting over 2,200, roughly 2,200 Canadians, permanent residents, and their families. Yesterday, Global Affairs Canada is aware of the deaths of three Canadians. We also continue to follow up on the cases of four other missing Canadians. Yesterday's assisted departures were conducted smoothly, and the two Canadian Armed Forces flights were able to assist the departures of 236 people from Israel. I can confirm that two additional Canadian Armed Forces flights are ta taking place today. The first flight included 135 passengers and left Tel Aviv, Ben Gurion Airport at 3 p.m. local time and arrived at 5 p.m. in Athens. We are watching closely and are well aware of the large number of Canadian citizens and permanent residents in Lebanon. Over the past days, we have updated the travel advisory to advise Canadians to avoid all non-essential travel to Lebanon and we have directly informed the registered Canadians in Lebanon of this change. Yesterday, we further updated our advice to advise Canadians to not travel any further south than the Litani River due to violent clashes along the border with Israel. I cannot emphasize enough that this is our best advice to Canadians, and in order to limit the risks to travelers, we encourage them to take this very seriously. So there you go, a warning by uh, Julie Sunday with Global Affairs Canada, along with Alexandre Levesque, about the latest um, violence in the Middle East uh, and uh, some of the, uh, uh, I guess, spread of that violence beyond Israel's borders into Lebanon. Uh,
well, as you just heard, airlifts of Canadian citizens out of Israel have begun. The federal government pledging $10 million for humanitarian assistance as the violence between Israel and Hamas escalates. Uh, meanwhile, a Memorial University professor who specializes in the history of the Middle East, not optimistic about the prospects of de-escalation of the war. Here's the rest of my conversation with Justin Fantuzzo. Intergovernmental Affairs Minister Melanie Jolie this week indicated she said things are going to get worse before they get better. Will they? Uh, I think that's the overriding fear and concern here that what's happening now is going to have far-reaching impacts globally. Yeah, I, I mean, I would even put it a, a, a different way, and I'm borrowing a phrase here that um, Aaron David Miller, uh, who's a former American negotiator in the Middle East between the Palestinians and Israelis, I'm, I'm borrowing a phrase that he uh, he's used here. Um, I think it's going to get worse before it gets worse. Uh, I, I put a bit of a more pessimistic spin on it than what uh, Minister Jolie has said. You know, the main concern, the main fear of everybody right now, um, I, I think is twofold. Um, the one is if Israel goes ahead with a ground invasion, which all signs point to that being the case. There's 300,000 Israeli troops readying along the border with the Gaza Strip. Uh, as everyone has seen, the Israeli airstrikes in Gaza have been relentless, uh, unprecedented and relentless. If Israel goes ahead with this invasion, uh, will this provoke a larger conflict in the region? Will it escalate to include other regional uh, other regional actors, in particular Hezbollah in Lebanon, uh, who's been kind of on the sidelines of this a little bit? Um, but you know, this is exactly what Hezbollah would want to happen, and and kind of by extension, and to kind of touch on the earlier question, it, it's kind of what Iran might want to happen as well. So that's one of the big concerns right now. If Israel invades the Gaza Strip, uh, does this signal to Hezbollah uh, that it's time for them to take more serious military action along the southern Lebanese and northern Israeli border? Now, the even bigger fear, of course, is that could this spark an even larger war with some of Israel's neighbors, such as Syria or, uh, 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 or Lebanon, for example? I mean, it's unlikely that Egypt or Jordan would join in any kind of action. Um, Egypt is really, really critical right now in the uh, administering the border crossing uh, at Rafah, where Gazans are trying to evacuate. And Jordan ha has opened its air bases to U.S. Uh, fighter planes in the region uh, to work in concert with Israel. So it's very unlikely that either Egypt or Jordan will do anything, but some of the other states and some of the other regional actors like, like Hezbollah um, it, it's not entirely clear how they might fit themselves into this situation. So, you know, in the days in the days and weeks ahead of us, we're going to see if this is going to remain a kind of local affair or if it's going to turn into a, a more broader uh, regional one. And one that the United States, uh, with Antony Blinken, uh, uh, his visit to Israel uh, yesterday and today, as well as President Joe Biden, have cautioned you know others. They said, "Don't if you're thinking about seizing this opportunity to attack Israel." Do not do it. So it's it's on the minds of everybody. Certainly is. Saudi Arabia, of course, not too long after um, the events of this weekend, uh, called for a de-escalation. Do you think that's possible? I don't, unfortunately. Um, Saudi, uh, as I said, Saudi Arabia has always been a key participant, uh, an important player in this peace process. 
going at least as far back as the early 1990s. They've always played a central role in trying to mediate the conflict between the Israelis and the Palestinians. Um, I, I just don't think there's any any way uh, of de-escalating this situation right now, in part because the scale and the intensity of Hamas's attack. I mean, people really have to put this into perspective, and I, and I think this is a good way to do it. If you take the scale of the attack and, and if you kind of map it onto Canada's population, if you adjust it to a, a Canadian population sample size, the, the now 1,300 dead, the number has gone up in just the last uh, you know two or three hours from 12 to 1,300. If you adjust that for Canada's population, uh, Israel is about 9.7 million, Canada is about 40 million now. Uh, that would be equivalent to about 5,000 Canadian dead. Um, and if you adjust the number of wounded, which is now at about 32 or 3,300 on the Israeli side to, again, a kind of Canadian equivalent, it'd be about 15,000 wounded. So you're talking about in the ballpark of 18,000 casualties if this was Canada. Um, there's simply no way that the Israeli response is going to be tempered by any calls to mediate it, I think, right now. Um, you know, As we mentioned, you have a right-wing government uh, that is – unsympathetic to Hamas, uh, as it should be in some ways, but a right-wing government that's unsympathetic to Hamas contains ultra-nationalists who want nothing more than Hamas to be destroyed. Uh, And you have a situation in which, you know, Gaza is holding hostages, maybe as many as 130, 150 still in the Gaza Strip. Um, There's just, it's really sad to say, but I, I don't see any way out of this. That's Memorial University assistant professor specializing in the history of the Middle East, Justin Fantuzo. Well, coming up, families getting a shock after uh, some of their loved ones suddenly slapped with massive increases in their personal care home rates. This is News Talk on VOCN. Start your day off right. Get the latest updates on news, traffic, and weather conditions, plus interviews with today's newsmakers, your go-to source before you get on the go. 5.30 to 9 a.m. weekdays, your VOCM mornings. And uh, before the break, we were talking about um, some of the updates from Global Affairs Canada. Well, Canada is working with Egypt to get Canadians out of the Gaza Strip as soon as tomorrow. But there will only be about a five-hour window for them to get to safety. Global Affairs says there are about 150 Canadians stuck in Gaza, with the clock running down on Israel's 24-hour notice for 1.1 million people in northern Gaza to flee to the south. Canadians in Gaza have been pleading for help with bombs falling around them, some even sending goodbye messages to their families. Well, a little bit closer to home, a person close to the situation says residents of a privately owned personal care home in the metro region facing double-digit rent increases, and they don't have much time to come up with the difference. Don Fury, who has a family member in the home, which is located in Paradise, says her next month's rent is going up by over $400. That's a 14% hike. She was given 30 days' notice to come up with the money. The provincial government recently gave private nursing facilities an increase for government-sponsored beds but Fury says her family member is not in such a room. Well, here's some of what she said uh, on VOCM Open Line this morning. Right now, there's about 25% of our province are 65 years or older, and this number is, as you know, only forecasted to increase over the next decade. Patty, imagine getting a note slipped under your door that your rent is going up $457 a month starting in 30 days. 
that's $5,500 a year. That's a whopping 14% increase. And is this in a provincially run and operated facility like LTC or something? No, this is a private for-profit business. Okay. But the reality is this was a a reality for a senior living at Kingsway Living Personal Care Home in Paradise. Patty, it recently came to my attention that these private personal care homes in Newfoundland and Labrador operate outside of any regulation pertaining to rent increases or notification periods. They don't fall under the Resident Tendency Act, which means there's no set limits on the amount of rent they can increase. There's no notification period. So I'm not sure if you're aware or not, but on September 28th uh, of this year, the Department of Health and Community Service announced they were increasing monthly rates provided for government subsidized bed in these personal care homes. Mm which was to support operators except more residents who require higher level care. But Patty, as you may be aware, seniors, many who have worked really hard their whole life, if they have a pension or if they were able to save personal savings, they don't qualify for these government subsidies. But the owners of these personal care homes took this opportunity to increase rent for all the residents. Many who, as I mentioned, don't qualify for these subsidies. A number of them are facing rent increases of 10% plus. It's very stressful for them, their families. They have 30 days to come up with that money out of pocket or find new housing if they can afford it. So for units that fall under the Residential Tenancies Act, it's six months' notice before there's an increase in rate, three months' notice before a potential eviction. So they don't have to abide by that, which I was unaware of. So will some of these increases consequently see some of these seniors qualify for some support because it's all based on income threshold? Yes, but the threshold has not gone up. Those who, some some may fall in under the qualification, but many will not. This lack of rent control is affecting our most vulnerable, the seniors. Around, I guess it was probably around the early 2001, Clyde Wells' liberal government began to deregulate the home care industry. So these personal care homes are private, for-profit business providing care to seniors. But they are private, and I understand that, but they are using significant money from our government. So I think there needs to be some accountability. This most recent announcement gave an additional investment of $15.4 million for these operators with increased subsidy rates. So yes, they are private, but they are getting significant government support. But there's many who still don't qualify for the subsidies and to come up with an additional a month with little or no notification. It's very stressful. Patty, I just felt this was an issue that should be shared and addressed due to the aging population here in Newfoundland and Labrador. These private operators are receiving government funding, so who are under no legislation for regarding rent control. And I think this really needs to be reassessed. 
So that was Don Fury on VOCM open line this morning talking about the uh, the huge increase in um, r- um, rates at a uh, personal care home in Paradise by over $400 a month. That's a 14% hike. Basically what's going on is that uh, when government introduced its uh, increased subsidy to personal care homes to, you know, for a variety of reasons, try to hire more staff and uh, deal with rising costs and the like, uh, that uh, will go towards uh, subsidized um patients or residents, but not the non-subsidized. So in other words, if you reach a certain income threshold, you got to pay out of pocket. Yeah, that's, I don't know. I, rough, I wish that rough w- for anyone on a, on a it fixed It really income. would be. And I drive past that home in particular almost every day and it's, it's brand new. It's stunning. And to be able to live there would be a privilege, but to have to worry about you know, that constant threat of a rent hike with no, um, I, I believe the story said that there was no, you know, there's no legislation around it so they can kind of do whatever they want. Well, uh, we heard from another family similarly shocked and we're going to um, play you a little bit of that when we come back after the break. Um, this is News Talk on VOCM. Stay informed and have your say on the news of the day with your VOCM. Join Linda Swain weekday afternoons from 4 to 5 p.m. for an hour of talk and discussion with decision makers and listeners like you. News Talk on your VOCM. Thank you to Sarah and Claudette. Well, before the break, we heard from Don Fury, who was shocked with a huge increase in a monthly rate for a loved one in a personal care home in Paradise. Well, she's not the only one. Michelle Williams says her family was equally taken aback when her mother was hit with a huge increase in her monthly rate. She joins me now. Hello, Michelle Williams. Hello, Linda. How are you? Good. So we've been hearing from families who are telling us, whoa, what's on the go here? The provincial government has provided these subsidies to personal care homes, and all of a sudden, the rent goes up. You're one of those families affected. What's happening in your mom's case? Yes, I am. So initially, when I heard about this $15.4 million announcement from uh, Minister Osborne, I was delighted. I mean, my mother just moved into the home. We could see firsthand that the personal care workers, they were overworked, they were understaffed, there was, you know, high turnover just in the few weeks that my mother has been at this particular home. So, you know, we were, this was welcome news, this announcement, but we quickly learned, you know, that it wasn't good news for everyone. So, essentially, my mother was living there for two weeks. Um, and she gets a letter under her door, as all of the residents in personal care homes who receive level one, two, or two enhanced care. And the letter indicated that her monthly cost was increasing by $457 a month after just two weeks of living there. And, um, you know, through the jigs and the reels, we learned that this is a re- direct result of the very poorly thought out announcement by Minister Osborne. So how, so how does that correlate then? What, what so, do you understand is going on? So the key part to this funding announcement is that the government of Newfoundland has increased the subsidized rates. So my mother, for example, requires level two care and the government subsidized rate has increased from $2,500 to $3,000. So 
where the issue arises is that in order for the personal care homes to access this funding, they have to increase their monthly costs for residents. So if you're subsidized, basically there's no impact. The monthly cost is increasing, but so is the government subsidy. That said, if you are unsubsidized, as is the case with my mother, if you your monthly income is $3,001 or over, you do not qualify for the subsidy, and you have to pay the additional, not only is the additional $457 a month out of pocket, but you're paying the full cost out of pocket. So, you know, the funding announcement by Minister Osborne has completely left the unsubsidized folks out in the cold, quite literally in some cases. And because of it, my mother, my 80-year-old mother, now has to come up with an additional $5,500 annually on a fixed income. And she's not the only one. I got some numbers from the Department of Health, and apparently there are 617 unsubsidized residents in this province. They are all hit with this. And I am outraged, and every Newfoundlander and Labradorian should be outraged as well. So what happens now? What happens to your mom? Well, I'm hoping that this debacle is going to be addressed by Minister Osborne and the other incompetent folks who came up with the rollout of this funding. I, that's why I'm calling you today, you know, to put some of the pressure on. I, I did email Minister Osborne, and he responded to my concerns. And he actually said that the announcement by government was meant to help to subsidize folks. And if you are in the unfortunate circumstance of making too much money, as deemed by the Department of Health, you're out of luck. He said that the private pay rate is solely determined by the personal care homes. So in my view, Minister Osborne doesn't even understand his own business. The personal care homes use these subsidized rates as a base to determine monthly cost based on level of care. They charge the same amount for the same service, whether you're subsidized or not, and so they should. So basically what Minister Osborne is suggesting in his response to me is that there should be a different cost, whether you're subsidized or not. And he's putting it 100% back on the personal care homes and that they're the ones who unsubsidized folks are in agreement with. It's like, you know, the Department of Health has washed their hands of unsubsidized folks like my mother as if they have nothing to do with with, uh, his mandate. Yes, the Department of Health determines the level of care required, whether you're subsidized or not. The Department of Health determines the client contribution amount, which in turn dictates if the client qualifies for the subsidy or not. And the Department of Health determines the subsidized rates. And that's what these personal care homes base their monthly costs on. They're not going to charge the unsubsidized person next to my mother $3,000 dollars because they're subsidized and charge my mother less because she's unsubsidized. I mean, the consumer advocates would have a field day with that. That is beyond unethical. So in my view, the bottom line is that Minister Osborne and his team messed up. And instead of acknowledging the error and working to find a solution, He's basically throwing it, throwing the, those personal care homes under the bus. 
And essentially, I have nothing against the personal care homes. They work very hard. Costs have gone up, and they are simply following the program that the, un- the government has outlined for outlined for them. So, for me, it's it's shameful. The government has shown incompetence once again, and the people of Newfoundland and Labrador need to know how incompetent and despicable this government has been towards our most vulnerable citizens. And I hope others will speak out on this issue as well. Because your family members might might not be affected today, but they may be affected tomorrow. Michelle Williams, I, I do appreciate you raising this very important matter. Really appreciate your time. We do have calls into the Department of Health on this. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you, Linda. Really appreciate it. And Michelle Williams not pulling any punches in her assessment of what has gone on here. If you have any thoughts, you're certainly welcome to give us a call. When we come back after the break, a local company, Claudette, you're going to like this one, makes an unexpected but cute discovery. Wait till you hear it. It is adorable. Uh, when we come back right after this, this is News Talk on VOCN. Your voice in Newfoundland and Labrador's biggest conversation. If you want to know what's happening in your province, tune in to Open Line every day. Have your say weekday morning starting at 9 a.m. on Open Line with Patty Daly on your VOCM. Well, airlifts of Canadian citizens out of Israel have begun and efforts are also underway uh, to help Canadians in Gaza leave there before um, Israel starts its uh, ground offensive in um, Gaza. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau addressed the unfolding situation during a housing announcement in Yellowknife yesterday. First of all, I'd like to send my condolences to the close uh, uh, relative of people who lost their lives uh, uh, in uh, the Hamas attack a few days ago. We're providing support and we're also in close contact with the local authorities. The safety and security of Canadians at home and abroad is always our top priority. The situation on the ground is volatile. We're actively helping our citizens and permanent residents come back to Canada. I can confirm that a first Canadian Armed Forces flight has departed Tel Aviv with approximately 130 passengers and has landed safely in Athens. As we speak, a second plane has already landed in Tel Aviv and will bringing people to Athens in a few hours. And we're working on additional options for those who cannot reach the airport in Tel Aviv. To provide assistance and logistical support, we're also deploying members of our standing rapid deployment team to the region. This is a unit of specialized officials who are specifically trained to help during times of emergencies or crisis. Canadians who wish to leave or who need assistance can contact our embassy in Tel Aviv, our offices in Ramallah, or of course our offices in Ottawa. We're working around the clock to support you. We'll continue to follow the situation as it evolves and continue our efforts with international partners. The violence and the details that we're learning are absolutely abominable, and Canada is unreservedly condemning Hamas attacks against Israel, and we're in solidarity with the Israeli people itself in accordance with international law. Hamas 
is a terrorist organization, and it does not represent the Palestinian people or the legitimate aspirations of the Palestinian people, and it does not represent Arabs or Muslims. Israeli and Palestinian civilians deserve to live in peace, in security, in dignity, and with their human rights respected. Canada will be providing an initial $10 million in humanitarian assistance to address urgent needs in Israel and in the Gaza Strip, and Minister Hussein will have more details soon. As events abroad unfold, I want to take a moment to reassure the Jewish and Muslim communities here in Canada who are feeling especially vulnerable. I want you to know that we continue our efforts to keep our places of worship and communities safe. And our government is in regular contact with the leadership of the RCMP and your local MPs are closely liaising with law enforcement. We must always stand united as Canadians. This is something that is core to Canada. We take care of each other, even in the most difficult of times, and we support each other always. So that's what Prime Minister Justin Trudeau had to say uh, just before a housing announcement in Yellowknife yesterday. And as we indicated, uh, airlifts have begun of Canadians out of Israel, and efforts are also underway to um, help the Canadians living in Gaza who are trying to get out of that region as well. Well, Steel Honda on Kenmount Road got an unexpected surprise recently when a technician discovered two tiny guests under the hood of a vehicle brought in for servicing. Can you guess what they were? What kind of tiny heads are we talking about? Because this could go either way here. Well, they're cute and they're fuzzy. So... Not mice. No. <laughs> no, not mice. They're just... Hang on now, we'll tell the story. <laughs> what if they were mice, Claudette? What if they were? Um, I wouldn't have the same reaction as you're having right now. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, you're not pro-mouse then. No, I mean, okay. I'm pro-everything living. I just don't want to be near it. Well, listen, I was on the phone with uh, someone I know yesterday, and she and I were having a discussion about the news. And uh, all of a sudden, out of the blue, she went, oh, my. And I said, oh, what's wrong? Is everything okay? And she said, a mouse just walked past. She said it like that. Yeah. Only, you know, there was alarm in her voice. (laughs) I mean, I can't, I'm not that good an actress. Come on. Um, Yeah. And like, she's got cats. Oh. So I said, somebody's falling down on the job. (laughs) But of course, I have a cat and uh, I've seen mice before. Now, granted, it wasn't during his tenure, but... uh, Anyway, we shall see. We'll s- anyway. Okay, so it wasn't okay. mice. Okay. We'll see how you feel about this. Stefan Mark Pike, the general manager of Steel Honda, joins me now. Well, hello, Stefan. Hi, Linda. I know that uh, you guys at uh, Steel Honda are usually involved in uh, uh, selling vehicles and the like, but I understand that you have uh, veered, <laughs> pardon the pun, into uh, animal rescue recently. What's happened? <laughs> well, Linda, one of our uh, technicians was getting ready to pull a vehicle in to perform some maintenance on it, and he noticed a sound coming from the front. And uh, when he opened up the inside of the vehicle, he noticed that there were a couple of little uh, unexpected passengers, we'll say, aboard. And what were they? There were two little squirrels. 
Oh, my goodness. So is that something that you see from time to time? Well, Linda, every now and again, sometimes uh, we see some um, furry friends making their way into vehicles, especially vehicles that are stored seasonally, uh, which is why we always recommend if you're storing a vehicle for any length of time, you uh, plug up your exhaust pipes and uh, even put some Irish Spring soap inside the vehicle. It helps prevent uh, furry friends from entering over the winter months. But with a vehicle that's being driven regularly, it is not something that we typically see. So it was definitely a surprise, uh, not only for our technician, but also for the, uh, the squirrels that were aboard. So what on earth did you do then? Two baby squirrels, what do you do? Well, the best thing that we could do was uh, get them wrapped up in something warm and comfortable because they seemed like they were pretty chilly and uh, contact Animal Rescue, of course, to come and uh, make sure that those squirrels are rehabilitated and re-released. Any idea how old they might have been? Did anybody tell you? Well, uh, it's very difficult to uh, tell how old a squirrel is. And obviously, uh, although we were able to perform the rescue, I am not an expert in that area. But uh, I would hazard to guess that they were very young, probably um, not far separated from their mother. Oh, my goodness. So uh, what happens now? Did the Rock Wildlife uh, Rescue indicate to you what happens next? Do they rehabilitate them then? It's my understanding that they do. They'll rehabilitate them and they'll reintegrate them into the wild. And uh, did you name them? Uh, We haven't named them, but uh, we'd certainly love to hear on our social media what uh, people think that uh, suitable names would be for them. Well, they certainly are precious, and I can see them uh, bundled up there. Uh, You mentioned Irish Spring. I I didn't know that that was something you can do. Absolutely. Anytime that anyone's storing a seasonal vehicle, it's always best to plug the tailpipes, make sure that the vehicle's properly secured, and put some Irish Spring soap in the vehicle. That does uh, tend to deter any uh, furry friends from making their way in over the winter months while the vehicle is laid up. So anyone out there for seasonal vehicles, uh, that's... uh, tip that you can use manly yes but the squirrels don't like it no they certainly don't but it'll it'll keep other furry friends out of your vehicle over the winter well that's something else Stefan. really appreciate your time thank you so much of course thanks so much linda well who knew irish spring I knew that. Did you? Not with squirrels, but I only knew that because I have a cousin living in Toronto, and they have a beautiful backyard with really, really old trees, and the raccoons love going there, so they would have to hang Irish Spring. What is it? Because I love the smell of Irish Spring soap, but for some reason, it's a turnoff among the rodents. You uh, <laughs> you recall the commercials, of course. Manly, yes, but I like it too, <laughs> yes. you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm showing my age now. Uh, yeah, so who knew? Irish Spring. Yeah. So if you see a big run on Irish Spring, as people putting their cars away for the <laughs> winter. They don't want the rodents in there. But are, are, So are you okay with the squirrels? Are you I pro-squirrel? Am. Yeah, no, I, I am. First, I mean, I love all creatures, but I just find squirrels a lot more cute than, say, a mouse. It's the scurrying, I think. Ah. Uh. Yeah. It's the scurrying quotient. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder if there's a graph you can, you you know, is this amount of scurrying okay, but this amount of scurrying is... And mm. it's a, you know, the tail. Uh, I get it. The tail. Um, (laughs) I'm not a big fan. Like if a mouse suddenly ran across this thing... You... 
you know, uh, the CRTC might get involved, <laughs> uh, is all I An got open to say. Hot mic among <laughs> that. Yeah, not a good thing. But, uh, you know, it would be like, eek, a mouse, right? Right. You know, up on the chair, that sort of oh, thing. Oh, definitely. Uh, but if it was a rat, I don't think I'd ever get back in the building, no, if you, you know what I mean. You uh, it, therapy. It's a different, yeah. It's yeah. so funny how we all have our thresholds or whatever about what we find really frightening. Yeah. And and it, we shouldn't be, really. I mean, they're they're smaller than us. Linda. Well, it, we're all... They are smaller than us. They're certainly smaller than I am. Uh, but, um, you know, we're all on this great big planet. Why can't we all just get along? <laughs> well, if only that were the case. If only In that life. were the case. Yes. Um, well... It's that dark outside. You might be excused if you thought it was... Night. An eclipse. Oh, yeah. That's uh, supposed to be happening, but we're not really going to see it, I don't think. It's happening tomorrow, and the only people who are really going to see it are... British Columbia. British Columbia, Vancouver area, mm-hmm. and even they're not going to see it, even see it, yeah, because it's going to be bad. cloudy over there, apparently. Uh, they're a lot like us when it comes to the weather. Mm-hmm. A little bit warmer, but uh, equally miserable. <laughs> I suppose. But yeah, no, there, uh, uh, an annular eclipse, solar eclipse, set for Saturday over Western British Columbia could be blocked by cloudy skies. The annular solar eclipse happens when the moon passes between the Earth and the sun, uh, treating viewers to a bright halo surrounding the black blot of the moon. So mm-hmm. things get really darkish, mm-hmm. but it's not a complete eclipse. eclipse. Like it will be, I think, next uh, year. So you get to see that little bit of like fire around the moon. It's really quite something. With those proper uh, viewing equipment, of course, you can't look at that stuff. Uh, but local viewing parties could be cancelled as Environment Canada is calling for clouds and showers for much of the south coast on Saturday. But there is hope. Jerry Lynn Mackey was the one that told me about this. We here in Newfoundland and Labrador, are scheduled to see a solar eclipse April the 8th. Yeah, next year. Yeah. So we've so just a few more months, really. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I know. Stop. Listen. <laughs> I, haven't, I don't even have my pumpkin up yet. The next time I open my mic, I'm going to be, so Claudette, you got your Christmas shopping started? Yeah. Or what? Uh, yeah. That's where we are. So that's okay. <laughs> that's okay that we have to wait till April for that. I'm yeah, good. that's good. Um, so yeah, and uh, Jerry Lynn very excited about this because she doesn't get excited about things at all. But uh, she was saying how the the flowers close and everything during the eclipse. I said now. Jerry Lynn. Is that true? April the eighth in Newfoundland. How many flowers you think you're going to see? <laughs> Now, tell the truth. Yeah, we're not in British Columbia. No. Uh, maybe your little African violets on the <laughs> on the windowsill. You know how Nan used to have the African violets? I forgot about those. <laughs> You're bringing back some memories. If you went into someone's home in the 1970s, guaranteed they had an African, African violet. violet. Guaranteed. Oh, look at the time. Still sell them in the stores, I wonder. I'm surprised I don't I'm feeling them. nostalgic. Now I might go out and buy myself an African violet. Uh, anyway, so yeah, there, there you go. So um, you won't see the eclipse, and nor will they. We'll the have end. to wait. The end. <laughs> Good night. Uh, so anyway, everybody, have a safe uh, weekend. Uh, we'll keep you up to date on all the um, uh, developments, if you will, for want of a better word, that's happening globally. Uh, if you need to be in the know, we'll let you know. Uh, so stay tuned for any of that. And we'll be back on Monday. Do join us then. Have a great weekend and bye-bye for now.